0: The pleasant firelight. I must still keep harping on it. The kitchen hearth had an old-fashioned breadth, depth, and spaciousness, far within which lay what seemed the butt of a good-sized oak tree, with the moisture bubbling merrily out at both ends. It was now half an hour beyond dusk. The blaze from an armful of substantial sticks, rendered more combustible by brushwood and pine, flickered powerfully on the smoke-blackened walls and so cheered our spirits that we cared not what inclemency might rage and roar on the other side of our illuminated windows. A yet sultrier warmth was bestowed by a good quantity of peat, which was crumbling to white ashes among the burning brands, and incensed the kitchen with its not ungrateful fragrance. The exuberance of this household fire would alone have sufficed to bespeak us no true farmers, for the New England yeoman, if he have the misfortune to dwell within practicable distance of a wood market, is as niggardly of each stick as if it were a bar of California gold. But it was fortunate for us, on that wintry eve of our untried life, to enjoy the warm and radiant luxury of a somewhat too abundant fire. If it served no other purpose, it made the men look so full of youth, warm blood and hope, and the women— such of them, at least as were anywise convertible by its magic, so very beautiful that I would cheerfully have spent my last dollar to prolong the blaze. As for Zenobia, there was a glow in her cheeks that made me think of Pandora, fresh from Vulcan's workshop, and full of the celestial warmth by dint of which he had tempered and molded her. "'Take your places, my dear friends all,' cried she. "'Seat yourselves without ceremony,' and you shall be made happy with such tea as not many of the world's working people, except yourselves, will find in their cups tonight. After this one supper, you may drink buttermilk, if you please. Tonight, we will quaff this nectar, which, I assure you, could not be bought with gold. We all sat down, Grizzly Silas Foster, his rotund helpmate, and the two bouncing handmaidens included— and looked at one another in a friendly but rather awkward way. It was the first practical trial of our theories of equal brotherhood and sisterhood, and we people of superior cultivation and refinement, for as such, I presume, we unhesitatingly reckoned ourselves, felt as if something were already accomplished towards the millennium of love. The truth is, however, that the laboring oar was with our unpolished companions— it being far easier to condescend than to accept of condescension. Neither did I refrain from questioning, in secret, whether some of us, and Zenobia among the rest, would so quietly have taken our places among these good people, save for the cherished consciousness that it was not by necessity but choice. Though we saw fit to drink our tea out of earthen cups tonight, and in earthen company, it was at our own option to use pictured porcelain, and handle silver forks again tomorrow. This same salvo, as to the power of regaining our former position, contributed much, I fear, to the equanimity with which we subsequently bore many of the hardships and humiliations of a life of toil. If ever I have deserved, which has not often been the case, and I think never, but if ever I did deserve to be soundly cuffed by a fellow mortal for secretly putting weight upon some imaginary social advantage, it must have been while I was striving to prove myself, ostentatiously, his equal and no more. It was while I sat beside him on his cobbler's bench, or clinked my hoe against his own in the cornfield, or broke the same crust of bread, my earth-grimed hand to his, at our noontide lunch. The poor, proud man should look at both sides of sympathy like this. The silence which followed upon our sitting down to table grew rather oppressive. Indeed, it was hardly broken by a word during the first round of Zenobia's fragrant tea. I hope, said I at last,